Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oak Shade Podcast. Today I'm sitting down with Chris Duncan of GSM slash Stealth Cam. We are going to geek out on whitetail management. We're going to geek out on trail cam security, best practices for deploying trail cameras, especially out west, how to prevent theft, and some of the newest technology coming down the pipeline, which states are banning trail cameras, which ones are not, and how to use trail cameras to create a plan, a strategy for your elk hunts, for your whitetail hunts. Come along, Chris Duncan, Stealth Cam, myself, here we go. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go we live christopher duncan welcome to the pod how are you dude good how are you doing i'm busy man i'm just trying to like scramble get all the stuff done so i can go hunting how about you (laughs) Same thing. Your season starts earlier than mine, though. But yeah, it's always something. Always stuff to do. What's, what's up first for you this year? And what state are you in? So I live here in southern Iowa, um, born and raised here. But as far as like my first hunt for the year, I went bear hunting in Canada already. So that was fun. But then now I'll be going to Kansas for whitetail. And that's like mid-September. And then Iowa starts October 1st. And then um, so I'll hunt here some early and then i'll go to uh oklahoma and actually i'm gonna go to western oklahoma and number one on the priority list there is a mule deer but um but if there's a big white tail too then 
that that tag's good for both. So we'll see. Talk to me about Iowa, man. Like, so October 1st seems a little premature in my opinion, but like, you don't know this about us guys out West that are whitetail hunters like me. I hate you guys the last week of October because our bucks aren't even thinking about the rut yet. And here you guys are Halloween putting the smack down. So when do you hit it hard in Iowa? I used to really, I mean, growing up, I just hunted every day I could, right? I didn't really worry about it. Like if I could hunt, I just would go and I messed up a ton of stuff. And then I got to a point where I'm like, all I'm doing is messing stuff up. So then I'd wait till, you know, right around Halloween. And then I would take off, um, two, two and a half weeks. And I would hunt basically every day I moved, I moved out of Southern Iowa for a while. So where I lived at, you know, most people think Iowa and they think there's big deer all over, but, uh, you know, when you really break down the state, they're maybe 30, 35% is good whitetail hunting. And then the rest is wide open fields and very limited amounts of deer, which is why Iowa has the strict non-resident regulations that they have. It's just, there's just not as many deer here as people think until you get into Southern Iowa or on the East and West side. And then there's pockets obviously spread throughout, but, um, long story short, then like the last, the last handful of years, uh, you know, we had leased a couple farms and then we started doing food plots. And then my wife and I have been fortunate enough to buy our own farm now. And um, so actually opening day or any time in the first 10 days of the season is starting to turn into like my favorite time to kill a big deer because, you know, we've really taken this farm and it's, we've, it's, it's a lot of work. Like people are like, Oh, well, you're hunting some manicured farm in southern Iowa. And that's just work that goes 90% of what you do to kill a deer here is like not during the season, right? It's like you're getting stuff ready, you're prepping it, you're making sure the food's planted. There's the list goes on and on of things that we do. And then making sure entry and exit is good, making sure the blinds are placed or the stands are placed in the appropriate areas, and then doing the food plots around that, right? So um, if you can get a big deer and he's in a certain area early October, um, then you have a really good chance, chance to capitalize on him. And then it, it seems like those first 10 days, it's like they're, there's something like they're on that pattern. And then I feel like there's a couple of weeks before the rut where something's like changing in them. And they're, I don't know if it's just like them, like getting mentally prepped or some crazy stuff for the rut, but they don't move quite as much during daylight. And then all of a sudden, like, boom, the rut's here. And it's awesome. That first, you know, like I said, like October can be awesome. Late October can be awesome. The rut can be awesome, but then also you don't know where that buck's going to be that you're trying to kill. So he might end up being two miles away the next day. So I, I actually love the first like seven, eight, nine days of, of October to kill one. Okay. So you guys bought a farm, like how big, what are we talking as far as what's included in that purchase? Are you having to buy tractors and like, like how the hell do you do your nine to five and run a farm? Is it like monetized or is it just literally food for deer? How how's that work? Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, we've, we've bought, we've had four private sales, uh, to acquire 155 acres. So we bought a 50, then we bought a 35 and then a house with 20 and then another 50. And now we've essentially taken what this old farm used to be back in, I, like the deed goes back 
man, I remember what the date was, but like late, late 1800s or something where they started selling it off. And then now we've pieced it all back together to that original family. And sweet, you know, when, yeah, it's pretty cool now. Um, and we've, we got really lucky with some the way some of this fell into place. Right. But, um, it's, it's back to what it was. And then as far as to answer your question, like how, how it monetizes itself and like what the income is like on it. I mean, this farm is a hundred acre, hundred acres of hardwoods. And then there's 50 acres of tillable. And, you know, in Iowa, you can either farm it yourself or which that's a lot of money to be able to afford all that equipment. Right. I mean, a com like you buy a, a combine now or a certain tractor, you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like a, like a new combine, I think my stepdad, he farms a lot of land. He told me it was like 500 K. So they're, yep. they're not cheap. Um, it doesn't make sense for someone who's only farming 50 acres to do that. So a lot of landowners here, they cash rent their property out where, you know, you might get 200 bucks an acre off your cash rent where you don't put any money down. And then the farmer goes in, he does all, he does all of his inputs. He does his thing. He harvests the crop. He gives you a check. Um, so that's what I did at first. And then the last year, um, I've enrolled about 35 acres of it into the conservation reserve program. I wanted more habitat for birds and, you know, we've got, and, and obviously deer too, but I, I, I grew up pheasant hunting and back then when I grew up hunting, that's how I got started. And there was, there was CRP grass everywhere. So it's like big blue stem, little blue stem, switchgrass, you know, tons of forbs, tons of wildflowers. But back then there was a ton of it and price of corn and beans went up. Those contracts didn't get renewed and uh, those, those populations plummeted. So long story short, yeah, enrolled quite a bit of it. We're enrolled 35 acres into CRP. So I've been managing that. It's pretty intensive management to make it the way it needs to be. Um, and then I keep 15 acres that I, uh, I plant. You know, I, I do seven acres of, of, of corn or soybeans per year on a rotating basis that I leave for wildlife, uh, three acres of clover, and then just kind of waiting and watching the, re the weather right now. But I'll go in and um, in the next probably week to 10 days, depending on when we get another rain, it's been super dry. But I'll time that accordingly and then go plant brassicas, turnips, radishes, and, and whatnot. So it's always busy. It's always something. That's what I grew up. That's, that's what I grew up always wanting that I get more joy, believe it or not, out of doing the work on the farm than honestly, like shooting a buck anymore. And I love watching these deer. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I live in an area where you can follow these deer like year after year after year. Um, and it's, it's not uncommon to have like a four year history with the deer, as long as he doesn't just up and move. It's not like they're getting shot, you know, when they're, three or four here typically. Um, so you can really get to know certain deer, know their characteristics, what's going on. It's just a lot of fun. It's a lifestyle that I really enjoy. I'm really uh, interested in this stuff because it is like delayed gratification. It's very similar to an elk hunter in the fact that we're not tilling land and rotating crops and hanging cameras and building entry exit, but we are doping our weapon, doing the training, going to the mountains, doing the scouting, studying the behavior biology, running cameras. Uh, there's a lot of parallels there. And I started out as a whitetail hunter. 
So I live out west, but I my neck swells up November first. I I can't think about any. I don't think about mule deer. I don't, I don't think about bears or elk. I think about whitetails and the rut. And I get more jacked shooting having a, a whitetail encounter than any other species on this planet. It's um it's actually kind of embarrassing, really. A guy who's had that, you know, been bow hunting this long and still freaks out when a whitetail comes in. And there's a lot of reasons for that probably, but talk to uh, me because I'm ignorant about what do the the deer like to eat that you've planted and when do they like to eat it? Like obviously to me, like late season standing corn, cutting some of that down, putting a blind in there. I've seen you guys do that, but like when do they hit the turnips? When do they hit the clover? When... What what's the vibe like? Yeah, so clover is pretty much year round. That's why I love it. It's got high protein and it's it's year round. So um, there's times where it gets super cold in the winter, a lot of snow on it, and maybe they're not hitting it as hard. But majority of the year, that clover is a year round food source. So I, that's why I decided to put three and a half acres in that. And then when it comes to corn or soybeans, rotated basis, you don't want to plant corn two years in a row or soybean two years in a row. So yeah, you, you go back and forth that way. And I want to have a lot of standing grain because that's that's great for those deer. They do eat the corn and soybeans, especially the soybeans in the summer. But I want something um, when it gets really cold here that they can that they can eat. And then I also want to plant enough where it's not just like the season ends in January or January 10th in Iowa. And like, OK, see you guys. Have fun. Um, I plant enough where it gets them clear through shed season. I want to have extra food at the, I, I want to go out there in March, uh, mid-March when it's starting to green up again. And I want there to be food left over. So I want these deer to go into the spring as healthy as possible. You know, it, it's, it's a lot for them. So trying to give them as much as they can. And then the turnips, they typically will hit those later in the winter. Radishes, uh, turnips will be after frost. Radishes, they'll smoke early. So as soon as they start coming out of the ground, they're on those. And that's why when I'm doing those brassica mixes, I like to do a mix of radish, turnip, some rapeseed, some clover. That way the clover is the first thing to come up next spring. Um, I'll kill that off in the spring or when I go back to plant brassicas in those locations again. So yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And to answer your question, you asked me like what equipment I use. Um, a lot of that is like, dude, I bought like an old tractor. It's, it's like a 19, 50 something Ford power master. And I bought a five foot disc for, I bought a five foot brush cutter. Uh, I got a small cultipacker. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, like the small food plots and whatever I'm doing, which is old equipment, but it, it works well. So mad respect, bro. Mad respect. How many cameras are on your property? That's what I really want to know. Way more than I need. So part of my job at, at GSM is I'm, I, I work in our wireless division and because I've got this farm here and it's right out the back of the shop, right? I can walk, I, I have deer in the backyard and front yard all, all the time. Um, but we're constantly testing stuff, whether like there, I got five cameras that are going to arrive today and I need to have them out by tomorrow because we've got our own engineering facility. That's what a lot of people don't know. We've got almost 30 engineers that work uh, the Las Vegas area. And those guys, We'll sit there and like, hey, Duncan, we we got these cameras we're sending up. They've got this on them that's new or it's like a new model for next year or whatever. And they'll have me put them out. 
And a lot of the time initially, like those guys are just monitoring them. So like, I don't have it on my phone where dude, like I've got cameras where I put them out and then I, it sounds silly, but I, I can't remember where all of them are at sometimes because I've got so many that I'm testing all the time. But at first it was kind of like a detriment because I had to go out there and be putting these cameras up. And then especially back in the day when you couldn't update the firmware remotely, I had to like go out there. Like they'd call me like, Hey, you need to go change this and update the firmware on it. So I was out there a lot. Um, but now these, these deer, I think they're just like, it's been three years now and they're just like, Oh, here's another trail camera. But to answer your question, I've got way more than I need out here, but it's pretty cool. Cause I get to really learn what's going on and see what's going on. Not just from, Oh, there's a nice buck, but Hey, like there's three hens on my property this year that have pulse or, you know, whatever the, the list goes on and on, you know, like, wow, there's a lot of nest predators I've seen in the last year. We probably need to do a little bit more work on the trapping. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's super dope that you're kind of like a testing grounds for GSM. Um, we should talk about GSM for a minute. Um, I work with you guys on the stealth cam side of things because uh, I have a long, rich history with stealth cams. I remember when I got my first 4K camera from them and like committed to running cameras on video. And it didn't take me long to figure out like that was the way for me. And I'm just talking about me, like for out west, pinch points, wallows, game trails. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop Midway USA. For elk specifically, run them on 4K, and then I could always manipulate your cameras to go a little like longer than your standard 10 seconds with a one minute delay. Like I would manipulate them to go 45 seconds, and then your cameras would take bigger memory cards than the ones I had in the. So I, after a couple years, I literally would like. Oh, I've shared some of my stuff from Will, like historically, I got some older stuff and he's like, he's used it on your guys' socials because it's pure gold. And it's really cool. It's quality video. Like I've used some of the videos from those like on YouTube just because it's like great. Do you run more video or do you run more photo? And how, when do you decipher between the two or do a hybrid? Typically with, with the cell cams, I typically run them on photo. Although, you know, they do take, depending on the model, right? Like a, I always tell people, um, 
you, you kind of get what you pay for. But uh, with that being said, you know, even our higher end cell cameras have came down significantly in, in price and they're so affordable now. Like we've got a brand new Deceptor camera and that camera's got video with audio, HD. Um, it's got a 40 megapixel photo, 0.3 second trigger speed. So it's got all the bells and whistles, kind of like that DS4K, um, but it's in a cell camera. And that thing will take amazing video. But most of the time with the cell cameras, I'm looking um, to just get photos of them. And I put them on a photo burst and I do instant group where it's going to, if I have it on a three burst, it's going to take uh, three photos. But then as long as there's still movement there, it'll keep going. Um, and that way, I, the reason I do that is because once those cameras start to upload, then they're not taking photos again. So I'll do it. You know, how many times does a doe come across and then a buck's behind her or whatever, you know? So um, most of the time anyway, on the cell cameras, I do, I do photo. Um, but then, like you said, that DS4K, that camera is literally amazing. So I've got a bunch of those that what I do is in September, I'll go out and I'll kind of make like a last ditch run through the farm. And I already know where I'm going to put them. And scrapes have started to open up or trails or creek crossings and uh i'll go throw those out and then i'll just let them sit the rest of the year and i will not pull those bat those sd cards until after the season because the batteries last forever in those cameras and um and then i'll get really good intel like of what's going on in on the farm and like in areas that i typically don't run cell cameras maybe areas like i've got a huge creek bottom that there's a few spots that just doesn't get the best service, right? So all the intel that happens on that arm from letting a camera soak. Yeah, and battery life is always kind of a concern. You guys have some solutions. I've tested a few. One is like a solar that attaches to the tree and then you can put the camera up against it. But then also like you guys also own Hunting Made Easy and they make like damn near a battery that like would activate a car like a 12 volt battery and you get the i got three of those ready to go when do you when do you do when do you use which and where like application wise so if it's an area that you if you're like diving into a bedding area and honestly like when it comes to the western stuff i'll be the first to admit i'm so green when it comes to that but i can talk to you about scenarios here um if it's an area even some of them are probably applicable where you're at. If it's an area where you have to really dive into something and it's not an area you go very often and potentially you're going to bump stuff when you go in, then you want to be able to set that camera and forget it. You don't want to have to go back in to change batteries or do any of that stuff. So those are the areas where typically like I want to make sure I have solar or I'm going to do what you said, where it's going to be that hunting made easy 12 volt, 12 volt battery with the solar pack combo. And I've got spots as long as they get enough sunlight like you do not have to go do anything to that camera again. I mean, I've got, I've got cameras that have been out there for over 12 months and I, I don't ever check them. And then another cool thing with that is we have a setting on these cameras. It's called DVR mode and you can turn that on. And then what it does is when the SD card gets full, the next time it takes a photo, it will overwrite the oldest image. So that way it just continues to work because you, if it's in the right area, um, it's in depending on your settings, you know, maybe if you got it on a, on video, for example, it's going to fill up quicker, but it's going to fill up within six months or seven months or whatever. So it's important that, you know, the biggest thing we want is that 
it's kind of like set it and forget it. If you can put it out there and just not worry about it, that's, that's what to do. And then those areas where like, for instance, on my farm, if it's, you know, an easily accessible area where I'm not going into a bedding area to bump them, maybe it's close to a food plot where I'm, I'm going to be going there off and on anyway, I can, I can switch the batteries out then, then that's where I would, um, you typically not use one, but it's getting to the point now where I, and I know that stuff's not cheap, right. But overall I save money and a consumer will save money by investing in the solar, especially with how expensive batteries are, you know, you're going to spend a dollar 50 for a double a battery nowadays on average. So it doesn't take long, um, for these solar panels to pay for themselves. Yeah, I've been buying lithium double A's. Um, I don't know. I bet I've spent $300 this year on just lithium double A's. Um, so you're right. I, I am trying to get a lot of more solar setups. Um, and it's crazy because for out west, when I put cameras out, like I got a video dropping on YouTube next week. It'll already be out by the time this podcast drops. But like, Dude, I went on a trail camera mission. I had trail cameras in Idaho and Montana, and they're not close to each other. And it took me four days and about five tanks of gas to get all these cameras out that had been soaking for some up to two years. So I literally put out cameras in states that I don't even have a tag for this year, or, and I just wait. And all I'm trying to learn, Duncan, is like I'm trying to learn – how many elk come pile in here? Are they here during the rut? How many different bulls? How many black bears? How many grizzly bears? How many cougars cross my camera? What's the cow density? When do they pull out of these high country areas? Almost always it's November. Like literally middle November, most mountains get hit with just, they just get their first major dump and the elk are out. Um, and then you'll have a couple mature bulls that'll just stick it out till like December and you're like, how are you doing it? And then you'll see them migrate out. Also wolves. I like to see if like, is there a pack nearby? Are they cruising through hunters? I, I get, I get actual hunters. Like, so in Montana, my spots, I found four different sets of hunters hunting this basin. Um, and I wasn't even, I didn't even have a tag last year for there, but I just wanted to see, Who's who in the zoo? So when guys think about trail cameras for out west, for me, it's more like a, I just want to, it's an observational tree stand for, to speak your language. It's just an observation point where we get to get a pulse on things. Um, do you guys do that in the Midwest at all? Like, not to the cameras? extent you do, man. Not, not to yeah. that extent. Like, it's just, it is such a different world, what we have to do compared to you guys. Like, I, I'll be honest with you. I think you guys, the amount of, uh, it's just a different type of effort, right? Like the, the, I see what you guys are doing and like the work that you put in, Darren Fly, uh, the work you guys put in is, is crazy to me. Like it's, it's literally like so much work. And I respect that so much because like you said, you're going like States away and you're putting cameras out to figure out what this elk herd's doing there. When we're more like focused on the small white tail herd on like this, small farm it's it's so different um so I, I in some way shape or form i i do do what you're saying um with letting cameras soak and then picking up as much intel as i can for example like this creek bottom below the house for example like that's i know that's hot every year right around thanksgiving there's there's what there's studies that show that 
a, a particular doe will go into estrus around the same time every year. Well, I can tell you right now that there's one below my house in this creek that every year, like right around Thanksgiving, when most other does have been bred, like I swear every buck is just piling into this bottom because there's must be a doe or two that, you know, I've noticed now for the last three years, my cameras just go nuts down there. So it's just, it's so much different. Um, so definitely not to the extent you guys do, but in a smaller, I guess, way. Well, I guess I got to ask, man, have you elk hunted yet with a bow? I have not personally done it, but I, I went, oh, where we went to Wyoming. My buddy drew a tag in 2016 and it, it was like a, it was like a trophy zone or unit or whatever that, uh, I think he had like, I think it took like eight or nine years to draw. And we went on public out there and, um, it was, it, we were out there for like seven days, I believe. And I, I filmed it. I just went there to kind of hang out and film it. And it, it was cool. It was fun, but it was like, I guess I'm just a puss because I, I thought it was amazing, but, um, and it was really cool, like listening to the, you know, the elk bugle, but there was like, it was different because, and I'm sure it just depends on where you're at. Um, just like hunting whitetail, but and hunting anything. Um, but we were running into quite a few other hunters. And then there was days where it would literally, like, we wouldn't even see an elk or hear a bugle. And I am just not used to that. It's just, and I sound like a puss. I know, like, I'm just, I'm used to like, I know on my farm that I know how many deer I'm probably going to see. Like, I know I'm going to have an encounter, um, not kill one. Like I very rarely, you, you very rarely get an opportunity at a five-year-old whitetail. Um, but it's just a different style. And I'm used to like, staying in my own bed at night right and like seeing my kids or you know like having like a meal that's like cooked on the stove here uh it's so it's it's so different and it's not that i didn't enjoy hunting out west because i did it just was like a completely different style for me and um so i've i've never went back to do that i've never really put in for preference points to elk hunt um and i don't know it's I'm so busy here and, and I'm so passionate about whitetails and I understand that it's a different time, right? Like I understand like you guys are chasing them in September pretty hard, but, um, I don't know. I've just never really, it's kind of so outside of what I'm used to, I guess, and familiar with, and I like to do my own thing. Um, and not that I couldn't go out there and do my own thing, but I don't just like anything, man. Like I'm so passionate about, whitetails that i don't waterfowl hunt because they coincide very similar times here i don't oh yeah i don't you know i don't i don't elk hunt because i'm so busy here especially when it gets into that late summer time period um maybe if i had someone that was really good at calling and that knew their stuff maybe i'd do it more but um this is just my passion and i go all in. Typically I, I get laser and focused on something and that's kind of what I do. Okay. So I do want to bug you about your whitetail setup for your bow and kind of what your best practice is. I want to learn a little bit more about GSM, what other brands you guys like operate. And I also want to, and I guess we'll just go to this third part. Let's we'll just go right to it. Cause it kind of, kind of drives me nuts, Chris. Like, um, 
Utah band trail cameras starting July 1st every year. You got to have them out by July 1st, I think. And I don't think you can even run them on private. You might be able to, I, I don't know. I don't live in Utah, but I do know Arizona band trail cameras, um, across the entire state. And I do know I killed a bull in Arizona in 2021 and I killed it because I put a stealth cam out on a shitty water hole that I like literally look like pond scum. But I, I seen so many bulls in this area and I'm like, I couldn't find water. And I was like, there's no way they're drinking out of this, but I'm going to put a camera out. And I left it for five days and I got desperate because I, I was getting good. This was late, late archery in Arizona, which is, I don't recommend for your, uh, for an average elk hunter. That's not going to be the, like save up and get the Arizona early archery rut fest tag. Um, but if you're like an OG and you just want to like get your teeth kicked in, um, and maybe get a shot, but probably not go to late season Arizona. So I did a late season tag. I've killed there a couple times now and it's always taken about eight days to get it done. And one year I didn't even get it done. So my, st- my point of all this was I throw this stealth cam out. It was a stealth cam and what's funny and I'm just going to say, I'm very transparent. I was working with spy point at the time, but my cameras were always not reliable. Sorry. It is what it is. So I put a 4k, a DS 4k on this water hole, put it on video mode. And then day five, I was like, I need somewhere to hunt evenings. I'm not getting stocks in, in the evenings. And I don't want to just sit in glass. I drove in, I checked this camera and my jaw dropped. I'm like, it's a freaking parade of cows and bulls every night. And I immediately brush, I immediately brushed a blind in and there was nowhere to put a blind, nowhere to put a stand. So like I spent a couple hours making a blind that was so good. This blind was brushed in so good that my first night setting it, I had hunters drive their four wheelers on this abandoned road to the water hole, get out, look at it, walk all around me. Didn't even notice the blind, got back in and left two hours later, right before dark, I ended up killing my bull on that water hole. And I owe it a hundred percent to that trail camera. I would have never put a blind in there. And then the following year, trail cameras are banned. How, what's your guys as a team, that was a long segue. What's your guys's vibe? Like with, with some of these trail cameras getting banned in, in certain States, do you guys think that's the future or do you feel like they're always going to, I don't know. I hate seeing stuff get taken away. Matthews Incorporated out of Sparta, Wisconsin. My go-to is a Phase 4 29. That's what I'll be using for the 2023 fall elk season just around the corner. If you're a little bit longer draw, check out the 33. Vortex Optics. Get your optics online and save some loot. Eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10. Takes 10% off. On X Hunt. Elite membership. All 50 states. Do your e-scouting. Get your 3D. Add your waypoints. Run your tracking. Drop a pin when you drop your bull discount code elk shape takes 20 percent off kufaru international running the tactical or the duplex light frame with the hoodlum or bedlam if you see me at a total archery challenge i'll probably run in the kufaru hip quiver made in the usa and i stand behind as the best frame on the market MagView gear made in america lifetime warranty no phone case access to all three cameras on your iphone or Android discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. They also make attachments for binoculars so that you can do 
digiscoping proper. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code. We have several elk shaped stacks. Click the link in the show notes. Discount code elk shape 2023. Crispy Boots, probably the new fancy boot of the year, is the Brickstall Mountain GTX. I got a lot of miles with that. It's going to be my starter for the all around mountain. Very light. Flex rating of a three or four, somewhere in there. Super dependable, all synthetic, very breathable. If you're not sure, you can always drop down to Laponia 2s. I stand behind them. Buck Knives, the Alpha Scout, the Alpha Hunter, the Pack Light options, all those are in my kill kit. Check it out. Buck since 1902. Stealth Cam, cellular and non cellular, 20% off. Use the discount code ElkShape20. Run that camera on 4K. 10% off discount code is ElkShape10. You can get multiple cams or just run one. You can choose several plans and be on your way getting transmissions. The new Deceptor has that on demand mode so you can hit a button and get a photo from your camera right on demand. It's pretty sick. Check it out. Marsupial. I'm running the Bino Harness. 10x42s. Got the rangefinder pouch and pocket. Made out of Arizona. Jim's a good buddy of mine. I think it's the best Bino Harness on the market. New to you guys, but not new to me. Born Primitive. They've been making workout gear in the CrossFit scene and fitness space for a long time. They have a military background. They also hired Aaron Snyder to consult to make their outdoor line. And I've been running it, well, for the last six months behind the scenes. I had all the samples. I'm committed. I'm going for it. So I am running Born Primitive. Click the link in the show notes to see what lineups I run, not only on the workout side of things, but also in the field. It's pretty exciting for me to see a big fitness company get into the hunting space and I want to support them. Baku e-bikes discount code ElkShape takes $300 off. And of course, if you are buying gear, discount code ElkShape 10% off at BlackOvis.com. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I hate seeing stuff get taken away too. And and I'll be honest with you, I don't really 100%. I'm not like up to speed on the exact regulations they have there. I know know Kansas just banned cameras on public land what yeah kansas kansas had a public land band um i did not know that yeah i'm pretty certain they just just did it so let me look here kansas public land trail and i think it takes effect i think it's like in effect right now the thing about it is is like yeah on march 9th 2023 the kansas department of wildlife and parks voted to prohibit use of cellular and conventional trail cameras on all public lands in the state wow this move aligns them with 14 other states banning trail camera use in some capacity 14 that's what it says you know and i i had buddies that that were texting me that have zero affiliation with with gsm they have zero affiliation with let's say stealth cam right they don't they They've just been going to Kansas forever and um, they are, they've been running, they've been, they've been hunting public land in Kansas and they've been running cameras on Kansas public land forever. And, you know, like to them, it was a tool to, yeah, definitely see what is in the area, see if there's mature bucks in the area, but also like to save time and to save foot traffic. Like they don't, these guys are serious hunters. So just because they can't use a camera doesn't mean that they're going to not be on public land, even pressuring it more now in the off season, trying to find a big deer to hunt, you know, be out there as much as possible, trying to find a big one. If you know where a big one's at already from a camera. So I think that what Kansas, if I recall, Kansas said that there was, there was issues with, um, they thought it would prevent, I guess, like people taking ownership of public lands. Like they felt like, they were going to pre- prevent conflict with uh, with that, and then like the experience for hunters, they wouldn't see cameras like all over the place or whatever. I I don't know. I haven't looked a lot into it. Um, and then I've heard out west there was issues with 
maybe like some some wallows or whatever just being like flooded with with uh, trail cameras and i i just hate to see that taken away um as far as like people being able to use them i've used cameras forever and that is part of the joy i have with this whole with with everything i do in the outdoors like and i and i'm doing so much more than just finding a target animal like i even preface this whole thing like i'm running cameras to to for management i'm running cameras to see how many nest predators i have on my farm i'm running cameras to see how many hens had pults this year i'm yeah. running cameras also believe, i mean seriously a lot of the reason i run them and this is on private land i understand that but like um it's for security purposes so i've got them on my gate entrances when i first bought this farm i had issues with trespassing like crazy the guy who owned it before me was not a hunter he did not care about hunting he wanted every single deer dead um and it was like a honestly it was private land it was pretty much glorified public hunting so there's to me there's so many more benefits to running a camera than just like oh well i'm trying to find a deer to kill um that's the right. stories we hear right that's that's the stories we hear but that's a small that's just one small part of the whole the whole deal um so I can't really speak to out west um, because, like I told you, I'm not super knowledgeable in regards to that whole demographic. I'm just not. And um, but when it comes to like especially private land rights, I and that's why I think we're seeing like some of this public, you know, we're seeing a lot of the public where they're saying you can't do it. Like, I don't know how they would ever pass it on private, because how can you tell a landowner? that he can't use surveillance on his property or that he yeah, can't, can't use it to get photos. No, no. So I don't do know. That. I don't know what your thoughts, what are your thoughts on out West? Cause you're way more familiar with it than me. You know, obviously like there's always bad apples. Like um, speaking of apples in Washington state, down in the middle of our state, there were some outfitters driving trucks. Like you can bait for deer, which I have no issue with. And these guys were buying truckloads of apples and dumping them kind of uh out of the omac area where we have mule deer and then on private and they were just like slaying the mule deer over literally think about a dump truck full of apples on the ground um so that then washington had to like yeah well this is washington that's what we grow and then you so washington state fish and game was like all right 10 gallons is your limit a day which I've never even dumped out more than five gallons on the ground at one time. Um, and by the way, baiting has never really been like that fruitful for me. It's more about pinch points and deer corridor travel. Anyways, uh, in Arizona, like the strip with the mule deer, like you have one little teeny tiny seep of water and you got 37 trail cameras marked in, like hung all over the place. That's 37 different dudes disturbing the area to go check their camera and then theft. And so I kind of wish they would have banned it like in certain areas. Um, I can't speak to Kansas. I know Utah's had some problems with some um, outfitters and cameras or whatever. And there's always bad apples, but my stance has always been from a hunter. Like I don't like seeing things get taken away just because you don't like it or you don't do it. If it's like, I just, we have enough stuff getting taken away that, I've kind of have a stance of, I don't like stuff getting taken away. Like if it's already there, let's leave it alone. Um, because like in my state, 
they took away bear baiting. You can't bait for bears. You can't run hounds for bears. You can't run hounds for mountain lions. Now we have wolves. We have no wolf. We have no wolf uh, management plan. They're just here. Um, and they took away our spring bear. Um, we have zero spring bear. So we have an abundance of predators in my own state, which is why I hardly hunt my own state because um, the Seattle politics has taken over our fish and game department. You know what I mean? That's what's unfortunate. And you see that happen all over and it's happening more every year. Like there's lobbyists that are out there just trying to, to ruin, to, they don't know how to manage the herds, the local herds. They don't understand. They don't understand that. Uh, you know, a lot of them look at it as what you just said in Washington, where like, Oh, well, it's not humane to hunt a bear this way or to do this. Right. And then they don't understand that if you take that away, you take that, that type of hunting away that, those bear populations go up and those they don't understand mother nature. Right. So those bears have to eat and those bears will wander and they will get into garbage and they will eat things. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at it, like from in Iowa, Iowa is literally one of the last great whitetail hunting States there is. And the reason for that is because we limit our non-resident hunters. We limit the season dates as far as when you can use a firearm um we even from a resident standpoint we have some of the most strict regulations as far as season dates so you know unless you're a landowner you have to pick your your firearm seasons there's three of them in the late season and if you want to go first shotgun you have five days to hunt even though there's a gun season that lasts six or seven weeks, you have five days. If you want to do second gun, you have nine days. Anyways, sorry to get off on a tangent, but um, we have lobbyists that are literally like working with politicians. We have the Farm Bureau who hates to see these. They, they, they don't like deer because car deer collisions and crop damage. So we have these people with millions and millions of dollars that are working with politicians to change our game laws. And it doesn't matter. Like we could have we could have the best biologist in the entire state. That's a hardcore hunter and he understands wildlife habitat and he understands the best thing. Like we could have it. Like if there was a crystal ball that said, this is the best thing you could do. He can't make those rules because if a politician says, no, we're going to take our non-resident quota from 6,000 to 12,000. Okay. They just have to enforce the law. They don't make the law. So I don't know, man, like I hate to see that you've had those, those changes when it comes to some of the stuff in your state, because I understand that I've seen it happen all over the country in different places. And it's unfortunate. It is what it is, man. I think um, there's great organizations out there like how.org and sportsman's Alliance. They're doing a bang up job. Um, my question for you. So I've never purchased points in Iowa from a non-resident perspective. Can you buy a point after the draw? Like in some States out West, you can, not put in for the draw, but at least buy your point. Can you do that in Iowa? Yeah. So they'll have an application. They'll have a time where you can buy that point. And it's, I think, four or five weeks long. So you can buy the point and then, you know, you get that point. And then you put in when you want to put in for it. Um, a gun tag in Iowa, if you wanted to gun hunt, then that's, Iowa allows 6,000 non-residents. 65% of those are gun. 35% is archery. Ooh. And then they break the state down. I think it's by eight zones. And then they're, they're not a hundred percent like evenly distributed through those eight, but those 6,000 are spread out across those, 
eight zones and don't quote me. It might be like seven or 10 zones. I don't know. But um, yeah, so they really spread it out. Um, but we've seen like, I've got buddies. I got my neighbor right, right here across the road. He's from Wisconsin. He started buying ground here and like, I think it was 99 or 2000 and he could he could archery hunt every single year literally every year like and the quota was this like it, the quota was the same i would never even used to allow non-residents until the 90s no one oh, that was wow. non-resident yeah we did they it was zero non-resident hunting then they went to six thousand. i believe they went to, maybe they went to like four thousand then six or whatever but I, I think they just went six and then he was like well i can still hunt I draw every year. And then it would have been the early 2000s. That's when I started like noticing more non-residents moving here, not moving here, but buying ground here. And then uh, next thing you know, like he's waiting two years to draw. He's waiting three years to draw. And now it's to answer your question. Yes, you can put in for a point every year. But like I tell guys, if you have zero points right now, it, it's probably going to be like for the, the hot zones, like the best zones, it's probably going to be for archery six or seven years really quick to get that tag and every person for the most part that i know that if they really want to like take a step back and and analyze that weight and whether that weight was worth it like once they hunt here they're like holy crap that that was worth it i understand why you guys have the weight you do or the regulations you have um you know that's kind of a hot topic in itself right where a lot of people now are why are these you know all these tag creep all this tag creeping is going on all over and yep that's another reason why i just i'm just kind of i kind of have my own little slice of heaven here that i've worked my ass off to get and i love it in iowa and i fight tooth and nail to keep our regulations the way they are i want non-residents to be able to come here and have a great experience i do not want them to jump the quota to twelve thousand, have the land prices double and then have Iowa just go to dog crap, honestly, because that's what would happen. We don't have enough cover. We don't have enough good areas and it would just be overrun and ruined in a matter of, of years. It would literally take one or two years. And and we are, we are literally one bill away from passing and ruining the state every single, every single legislative session every year. Oh, it's going to happen. It's it. It make, I was like so nervous. I was like, Oh, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But then now, what we've started doing as residents of Iowa is we're like, well, if these guys have their own lobbyists, if these politicians can have their, you know, these not politicians, but if these uh, like the farm bureaus of the world and like these rich non-residents that have million, I mean, they're, they own 3000 acres here. They want to hunt it every year. They're pooling money together to change their, to change some of these regulations. If these people can pay for lobbyists, then I, as a sportsman and other sportsmen who want to keep Iowa great, we can do the same thing. So supporting cert, like Iowa Bow Hunters Association, I get as many people as I can to to give them money because they hire we hire lobbyists, right? And then we've all and then and then they go to they go to bat for us. Um, and then also we've got some very um, like in tune, like super smart, very passionate resident hunters here that are like they're going to the Capitol. They're like up there like fighting tooth and nail to keep what we have. So I think that's one big thing for anybody listening to this right now is that you, you, you need to realize that you do have a voice and don't let some lobbyist who let's say it's a crossbow company. Let's say it's a crossbow company. Iowa doesn't allow crossbows. 
they're going to go and they're going to pay for a lobbyist to go push for crossbows. And why they don't, it's not that they, they're going to say, well, we want more people to have an opportunity to hunt and this and that. No, they want to make more money. They want crossbows to be legal in Iowa. And they know if they spend $5 million to pay off a politician or a lobbyist to influence a politician to get it passed, they're going to make their money back. So anyways, end of rant, I'll get out that soapbox, but just realize that you do have a voice work with the right organizations within your state to keep your hunting great or good and keep it from getting ruined. And that's where we're at here right now. Yeah, man, that same stuff's going down in like a lot of States. I could like Montana comes to mind. There's a lot of really rich or wealthy non-resident landowners that line the pockets of the decision makers so that they have hunting opportunities. It happens all over out West, but yeah, I'm with you, man. And for me, I'm always like a non-resident where I hunt. So, I mean, you're a non-resident in 49 other states, y'all. Yeah. So there's that to it. But also, I always just out of respect to other states. Like if I'm not a resident, I don't get, I just don't get any treatment that is, you know, beneficial to me. And I'm okay with that. I understand. I get it. If I really wanted to move, I'll move. Okay. Lee and Tiffany Lakoski. They're Matthews peoples. Um, I know them all right. Um, they own lots of dirt and lease lots of dirt, I assume, in your state. Uh, do you what's the what's the deal with the landowner tag situation? Like, do you have to own a certain amount of dirt to where you can be guaranteed a tag as a, a landowner? If you're a non-resident, no. So you could be Correct, a non-resident. Right. Yes. But if you're how many acres do you have to own? I think it's four. It's like four or okay. six. It's not okay. very many. Um, and you know, with, with that, you know, being said there's, so essentially you'll get three buck tags in. Um, I honestly, like outside of a few people every now and then, um, and when you get into like cases where it's like a Lee Likoski and those guys that they've worked their tail off for every acre they own, but, um, you know, there's, there's more to, there's, there's more to, uh, the management process of, of whitetails and a herd than, um, the food plots and everything else. And, and just shooting old bucks, like, or just shooting big bucks. Like we, we also need to take out these deer that are old, that are not going to be big because they're taking up space from those deer that are going to be those top end deer, you know, like a certain area can only hold so many deer. So those guys might kill three bucks each, uh, because they have so much land. Um, but most landowners here, they, they don't, they don't kill three bucks, um, unless it's a situation where I know they're not killing three trophy bucks. Typically, um, those guys might, because they've got so, so much land, but like for me on my 155 here, I'm going to probably kill one, what I would consider like a top end buck each year. If I'm, if I'm lucky enough to catch up with one. Um, but then also what I love about that landowner tag is it allows me to, you know, if a 140 inch eight point that, or even smaller, whatever, like a five-year-old deer that I know is, is on the farm comes by me. I don't have to be like, well, my season's over now. Right. So it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way that that works is landowners get uh, three tags. Two are, two can be used anywhere in the state. And then one has to be on your land, obviously. Tell us, and this is where I want to finish, Chris. This has been fun for me, by the way. Um, tell me about your archery setup for whitetail, top to bottom. So um, I see you got a Matthews hat on. So I've shot Matthews for a long time. 
So I, I love those bows, by the way. Um, but then I'm shooting, you know, I've shot expandables forever and I went bear hunting this year and I shot a, uh, a fixed blade for the first time since I was like a kid and it, dude, it like, it zipped through this bear, like nothing. Like I couldn't, I was just like, holy crap. I mean, it just boom, like gone. Like it didn't even slow down, like buried in the dirt, like along actually buried into a log. It smoked a log, but, um, anyways, it's your typical white tail setup, um, a lighter arrow, smaller diameter, Matthew's bow at 70 pounds. Um, typically I won't take a shot over 35 yards. I actually, most of my setups, man, like when it comes to archery hunting, most of my setups are, I'm going to have a shot within 25. I, I don't, I, I think I've only killed one buck over, I think I've only killed one buck with my bow over 30 yards in 20 years of bow hunting. So yeah, that's pretty much a pretty broad answer, but that's, that's what I've got going on. So do you have multiple pins or are you a single pin guy? It's, it's a adjustable multi-pin. I like to shoot. I like to practice at like 70, 80, 90 yards. So that's why I went to that, um, adjustable, uh, site, but I love multiple pens because, you know, I might have a 20 and 30 and in a 40. And there's so many times where like, I don't know, maybe I need to give a single pen. Cause I have guys, I know use single pens and they love them, but I just always get worried. Like, what if that buck's coming by and then I'm at full draw and I'm getting ready to stop him, but then he turns and angles away. And then I'm like, Oh crap. Now I got to adjust my pen. So I've always just kept it where it's like 20, 30, 40. And then if I, if I need to shoot farther, I can adjust it then. Um, but honestly, I just, I love to practice long distances just because I want to make that 20 yard just feel so easy, but yeah, so it's an adjustable, uh, multi-pen site. Love it. Okay. Last question for you. I have a discount code with stealth cam. I have elk shape 10 and elk shape 20. The 20 is for non-cell. The 10 is for cellular. So would you tell my audience like, what is the number one cellular camera that they should get since you have so many options? And what is the number one non-cellular so that they can make the best decision for them? Because you've tested them all. You are at the testing grounds location, obviously. For sure. Yeah, if, if, if it comes to cellular, like hands down is the Deceptor. So the Deceptor is brand new for 2023. The photos are incredible. One thing you guys will notice when you use our cell cameras, um, you can do an HD photo download, but you don't have to because the photos that you're getting to your app are literally so clear that you don't even have to worry about doing an HD photo download. It's got a 0.3 second trigger speed, so you don't have to worry about missing any animals. We advertise uh, it's an 80 foot detection range, but um, it's it's farther than that. We were super conservative with with that detection range. I've been getting deer at 120 feet, and actually, like Trail Camera Pro did independent tests reason and they posted their results and they had the deceptor trigger at 120 feet so also for you guys who like video it does video with audio um, but overall it's a 129 dollar retail camera that a year ago would have been 200 we just wanted to get super aggressive with that price point um, so that would be the one to go with uh, with your code for cellular and then when it comes to non-cellular there's, I would say two options. I would say go with the G series camera, any of the ones in the G series, if you want to hit like more of a price point camera, that's still going to give you good photos and video. But if you want top of the line and you're just wanting like 
super high quality, then the DS4K Ultimate is 100% what to go with. That's what Dan was talking about that he's used before in the past. The video with audio is incredible. If you're someone who wants to run a camera on video, then that's the camera to get. What's the biggest memory card a guy can stick in one of those Ultimates? Uh, the Ultimate, don't quote me. It's on our website, but I know it's at least 64 gig. It might be bigger, but it will say on our website. I should know that, but I always just run 32s, and I've, I, I've never had an issue with it. Uh, filling up, but maybe some of you guys, like, especially on water holes and stuff where there's like deer there or, or elk there all the time, it's, you're probably going to want to get the biggest card you can for it. So, um, I think it's 64. I it say, might be 128. Is it 128? I, I know I put out last two weeks ago and when I was putting some cameras out, I know I, I put 128s in a bunch of them. Yeah. That's why I think it is. I think, I think you're right. It's 128. So going to give you plenty of memory. And, uh, oh, that's plenty. Honestly, like I, I had one camera that was not on a solar, wasn't on, it just had lithiums and it, it was in a spot that got a lot of traffic. And when I got there, it videoed me getting the camera and it'd been there for over a year and it, I was still on camera. I was stoked on that. Um, let's talk about, let's finish with theft. I just want people to know, like I lead the league in trail camera theft out West and I've always documented my theft um, I've put cameras in cases. Uh, in fact, two weeks ago, somebody brought, brought lock cutters and they cut bolt cut my lock and got my camera. And another guy, I generally, I generally put a Python cable around them and that does the trick. Although if you really want it, you can get it. But most instances, I carry a couple of tree steps and I go way up and point them down with the hunting made easy attachment you guys make. You can just screw it into the tree, screw it in and then just tilt it down, it's money. But I had some bastard climb a tree without branches. I don't know how he did it. And he got my, he took just the memory card and it was over this wallow that is like one of my best wallows. Like I, I live for the footage. Uh, you guys would have gotten all this footage. We're not gonna get it. The guy climbed up and I was kind of almost impressed. I'm like, you know, I'm not even mad. I'm almost impressed that you climbed this tree without branches because I use tree steps to get it up that high. But when it comes to theft, guys, you're not gonna eliminate it, but you can eliminate the uh, honest thieves. And the honest thieves are the ones that see your camera and they're, they're like, I, I know better, but I really want to steal that memory card. And they'll steal the car or they'll take the camera and it's almost like they don't even know why they're doing it. They're just being a human being. You can prevent those honest thieves by just getting your camera in a lock or a python or a lockbox, but you better bring some sort of drill motor to drill the lockbox into the tree or just do what I do and bring some tree steps, point it down, get it 10, 20 feet off the ground, out of sight, out of mind. You guys probably don't have those issues in Iowa too much because you're on private ground, but Man, I've, I've really had probably 20-something trail cameras stolen in the last 15 years. That's unfortunate. That blows my mind that hunters are doing that to other hunters. It quite frankly just pisses me off. There's nothing worse than a thief. One thing that we're, uh, we're starting to do is in cell cameras moving forward, especially like after this year, most of them are going to have GPS in them. So you'll be able to like track those cameras. We do have one model. I didn't say this earlier, but the DS4K Transmit, that's the highest end cell cam. Uh, that one this year has a gps uh tracker in it so you can be able to see where it's at so i guess if any thieves are listening to this you just better to be careful what you're taking sounds like we need to figure out some way to track a uh, sd card though oh god yeah 
That that's the worst. I mean, that's the only thing I really care about is what's on the card. I I mean, I know it sucks to lose a camera, but it really sucks to lose a memory card that you know is chock full of just I just love looking at the videos, man. It's not like it helps in anyways. I digress. Guys, this is Chris Duncan. He works for GSM. He's a whitetail ninja. I appreciate your time. Um, are you on socials? Is there anywhere we people we can follow along your whitetail journey? Yeah, so on Instagram, it's under Duncan Wildlife Ranch, and that's my Instagram handle. So I post stuff from the farm on there. My wife and my family, we, we're always out here doing something. And then on Facebook, just Chris Duncan. You can find me there. Thanks for your time today, guys. Remember, separation's in the preparation. We will catch you on the next one. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on, man. It was good to get to know you. Uh, I'm going to start putting in for some Iowa non-res. I'll see you in 10 years. Maybe I'll uh, have to get a hunt with you. But I really enjoyed Chris's approach to his passion, which is whitetails. You can see the year-round work, the delayed gratification, uh, the trophy management. Uh, he just cares about his property and, and not just deer, the entire landscape. I really respect that. He's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, give him a follow on Instagram. Follow like all the cool stuff he does at his farm. And uh, you guys can also build your dream just like he has done by setting the goal, setting the plan, work your way backwards and start chipping away. Life is short, so keep working hard, busting your butt in the name of better elk hunting or in the name of better you, the best version of you. We appreciate your support. We'll catch you on the next one.